You're listening to teaching from the Word of God, provided by Black Forest Chapel. This is the church where you will find biblical teaching and authentic worship with family and friends. We are located in Black Forest near Monument and just north of Colorado Springs, Colorado. We invite you to join us this Sunday. Find our location, worship times, and more at blackforestchapel.org. Yeah. 
Good morning, church. As we continue in worship, we're going to have a time of offering. Um, you know what? Go ahead and be seated for a moment. We have kind of changed our processes for uh, collecting our offerings. So this is the time we normally pass the plate and we give back from the abundance that the Lord gives us. He provides for our every need. And so we just give a portion of it back. And not that God needs our money. He never does. He just desires our hearts. Um, and so if uh, you brought an offering uh, today, we asked that on, the, on your way out after the service, there's some offering boxes in the back. Um, you can drop those off. We also are, are um, receiving offerings online as well, so feel free to do that through our website. But this morning, I just um, as we continue on in worship, we want to offer ourselves as true worshipers in spirit and in truth. And, um, God is pleased when his people gathered. He inhabits the praises of his people. And so if you would just kind of bow your heads and listen to the words of Psalm 104, um, I have a tough time always picking sections, so we're going to read the whole thing. And we're going to worship the Lord um, who has created everything and who sustains everything. He's in control of everything. So let's uh, listen to Psalm 104 as we worship from our hearts, and then we'll continue singing. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers winds, his ministers a flaming fire. He set the earth on its foundations so that it should never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment, The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke, they fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took to flight. The mountains rose, the valleys sunk down to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass, so that they might not again cover the earth. You make springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them, the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing among the branches. From your lofty abode, you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. In them the birds build their nests, the stork has her home in the fir trees. The high mountains are for the wild goats, the rocks are a refuge for the rock badgers. He made the moon to mark the seasons, the sun knows it's time for setting. You made darkness And it is night when all the beasts of the forest creep about. The young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. When the sun rises, they steal away and lie down on their dens. Man goes out to his work and to his labor until the evening. O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things both small and great. 
There go the ships, the Leviathan, which you formed to play in it. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works, who looks on the earth and trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will praise to my God while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let's stand and continue to sing to the Lord.
team kind of want to just keep singing right now don't you guys want to well it's good to gather again second week of our reopening i'm allowed to come back together and gather as god's people and so um, it's been just a joy to reconnect with all of you to see your faces and not just see your names on emails and on texts so uh, thanks for thanks for coming and joining us this morning. Um, we talked about worshiping God last week, um, what it means to be a true worshiper. We looked at Psalm 96. Hopefully that was a blessing for you, that you were singing a new song throughout the week, that there was some hymns that you found um, that you could sing in the morning to the Lord, sing in the evening to the Lord, and then have that kind of be the meditation of your heart throughout your day. Uh, if you if you attempted to apply that to your life, I pray that that was a blessing, and that it's not too late. You can actually do it this week too if you really want. So, um, the applications for sermons they 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 don't expire for a couple months, so you guys are good to keep trying these things, and um, hopefully it's a blessing to just develop new ways of devotion and, and worshiping the Lord. We we need to find what works for us and not give up and not feel like failures. And well, I tried that; it didn't work for me, and. And so try something else, right? Find a way and a rhythm and make it a priority to, to devote yourself to the Lord. Let me pray for us as we, uh, as we open God's word and continue our time of worship. Heavenly Father, we are truly in awe of you. As we come in this place, as your people, as your church, as your bride, that you are sanctifying. By your Holy Spirit, you're causing us to become holy without blemish.
Lord Jesus, you, you've, you've died for us. You've sacrificed yourself for us. You intercede for us now at the right hand of the Father. You're coming again for us. And we know that all the things that you do, all the things that you allow in this earth, Lord, is for our good, for the good of your people, for the good of those who love you. We thank you for that, Lord. It's a mystery. We don't understand it. But even gathering in this place, opening our doors, allowing us to sing to you, Father, together corporately, there's nothing like that. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you that that's for us and for our good. May you be pleased with our worship. May it be a blessing to you, Father, as we lift your name high. And now as we open your word, Father God, we worship you um, by receiving what we hear. Holy Spirit, please speak to us. Illuminate that which you have inspired. Help us to understand. Help us to, in the depths of our heart, Lord, how we are to respond so that we might live an abundant life, a life of joy, a life of devotion, obedience, that we would glorify your name, Lord, in this world. We thank you so much for all the good things you give to us, Lord, and all the provision. And ultimately, we thank you that you're in control of everything. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis 37. And you might be asking, are we starting over with the series that we left off? Uh, no, we were, <laughs> as many of you know, we were in a story of Joseph uh, starting last year. It was September 15th, 2019. We started in the story of Joseph, and we were moving through, starting in chapter 37 of Genesis, and we, we got so far, and then things happened, and we've been a little bit uh, sidetracked. There was a bit of a detour, and we never really finished um, the story. And even though many of you probably read through and finished it yourself, but collectively together we haven't, so... Um, I thought it would be good to to bring some finality to that story. So we're going to um, do kind of a recap this morning, a bit of a summary, and I'm just going to draw out some of the highlights that struck me and maybe some of the things that are still for us uh, today and application for the things that are happening in our world. And then next week, um, for a Father's Day message, we will conclude the series and finish chapter 50. And then we're going to be moving on. We're just going to, since, since we're there, we're just going to, turn a page and go to Exodus, and we're going to keep going, right? So that's, that'll be our next series in the book of Exodus, uh, starting um, at the end of June. So summary is, is important. We want to summarize some of the things we've learned, but also I, I really would like this to be uh, a great encouragement for God's people, for all of us this morning. Um, the world feels out of control to some degree, right? It, if we turn on the news, we talk to our neighbor, we, we just look at our own lives because there's just so much uncertainty. Usually we have things figured out. We know what to expect next month. We know what the summer looks like. We know what the fall will look like. Right now, none of us know pretty much any of that, right? Everything's been canceled. Our normal places that we like to go eat or um, the gyms we like to go exercise in, the swimming pools that we like to spend time as a family, places that we like to travel to, a lot of things have been closed. They're slowly reopening, but we don't know exactly what we're going to be doing from week to week. A lot of people don't know in the fall, or am I, are we going to have school? Is the, the hybrid program going to be opened up for my, my sons and my daughters? Are the sports teams going to be available? What does work look like if, if they can't do those things? How, do, how does my life adjust and change to all this financially? And businesses are still closed. And the ripple effect... Is, is pretty, it's pretty large here. It shows you how interconnected we all are right? and how we rely on one another as a society. Things feel out of control. When we turn on the news, things are getting worse and worse. We, we not only had 
COVID to deal with, the, the virus, and we're still contending with, with that and with different um, interpretations of, of what the science says and when vaccinations might be available and what the fall is going to look like. And there's a lot of projection of fear without any real basis for it. And so we don't know what that's going to look like. We don't know how things are going to happen, what's going to happen. And then we have the, uh, the, the overall tensions in the world and in our cities of protests due to racial inequity and um, the, the death of George Floyd and the, all of the uh, uproar that has happened through that and other instances of violence and, and death. And so our police departments are, are in disarray. People, cap, you know, we have leadership kneeling, and then the, the rest of the team decides to, there's a whole SWAT team that, that resigned after a captain knelt with protesters. And the division is just, just, it just keeps going out. It seems to be getting worse and worse. Leadership is not sure what to do. Everyone's scared. So they allow things to happen. Then you have insurrectionists, anarchists, people that want to overthrow the government. They're using this. They're using protests as their cover to take over cities, to pull down monuments, to create as much chaos as possible. And so we keep turning on the news and we keep seeing more and more things and it seems like it's not under control. And we know when, when, when a fire happens in Colorado, you're, you're waiting until you get that containment number, Right. Like, because until, until we see a number of containment, until you see things start to move backwards, there's a fear that it's going to keep going. Is it going to affect my home? Is it going to affect my... And I think we're all kind of looking at that and living on edge. What's going to happen next? Where's the containment? Things seem to be in chaos. Things seem to be out of control. I want to encourage you this morning that things are very much in control because God is in control of everything. If he is the God that we worship, if he's the God of the Bible, then he is sovereign. Right? And his sovereignty means that he has, he has the right, he has the authority and the power to do whatever he decides. He's above everything. We, we read in Psalm 104 how he, he controls the grass that is growing out of the ground, <laughs> the waters that are coming down to feed animals. He controls the sun and the moon and the rising and the setting. This is our God. This is our creator God. This is the God Almighty. He's in control of all these things. He has the right and the authority and the power to do whatever he decides. And the doctrine of, of providence is God acting out his sovereignty to fulfill all of his purposes and, all, and fulfill all his promises. And so in God's providential care and the providence of God, he works out all things for the good right, of us, for those who love him. He works out everything for our good. Why? Because he, he loves us. He set his love upon us. We are his people. Do you realize that the earth still stands and everything is still here because of his people, because of his promise, because of those he desires to save? And he's coming back for us, and he wants, he wants a beautiful bride, right? No one, he doesn't want an ugly bride, right? It's a beautiful bride without blemish, holy, and he set his care upon us. And so he, he loves us. So everything that seems out of control is very much in his control. And we see this in the life of Joseph, don't we? We see evil men doing evil things, and yet God meant it for good. God used it for his purposes. 
He did not take away free agency. People still had the, the will to do and choose evil and do things that they wanted to do, but he orchestrated everything to work out according to his purposes and his plans. Job 42.2, Job says this. He says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. No purpose of his can be thwarted. And so we don't always understand how that works, providence and God's sovereignty and free will. We see that, that Jesus, you know, he said that I have to go to the cross as it was declared, as it was decreed, but woe to the man who betrays me. Right? Judas Iscariot chose to betray Jesus, and yet Jesus was decreed to go to the cross. So God used evil intention, evil activity, sinful man to fulfill his purposes. That's what he does. And so we were up in the prayer room and talking about this a little bit. We can rest in the fact that although all these evil things are happening, as we pray and as we seek the Lord, as we ask him to change things, and if he doesn't change things, we know that what? Those things that are still continuing on are for our good. All of those things. Somehow, it sanctifies the church. It causes people that are lost to be saved. This is what God does. And so we pray for peace. We pray for the violence to stop. We pray for our, our government officials. And if you're not a praying person when it comes to politics and government, now is a good time to probably start, right? We pray for all of these things. We watch the news. We turn off the news and then pray for those people that you see on the TV. They have no wisdom. They are darkened in their understanding. They don't, they don't get it. It's, once again, I, said, I talked about this last week. Sinful man, it's, it's amazing what... We read, it, we read this in Romans 1 this morning. They invent ways of doing evil. And that was us before we knew Jesus. Sinful man creates problems, and then sinful man tries to solve those problems that they created, and they create more problems. It doesn't make any sense. Only God can intervene. Only he can change hearts. And so we pray and we ask God to do that. But if God chooses not to, if he chooses to allow people to continue to burn things and, and, and hurt people and even murder people, if he allows this unrest and this, this anarchy to continue for a time, or for, then, then we know that as we pray about those things, that God is in control of those things. We can rest in that. We don't have to fear. We have a different perspective. Ultimately, they're not, they, they don't know what they're doing. Right? In, I, I, read a, I was watching the news or I read an article this week. So in Seattle, Washington, one of the major cities in Seattle, probably read about this, um, a group of, not protesters anymore, but rioters, insurrectionists really, they took over six, six city blocks, including a police station. They took it all over, and their, some of their demands, some of their language coming out of this is, we, don't, we want to defund the police, we don't want armed forces interfering with our lives anymore, because they're dangerous. We don't want this armed group of people that are, that are hurting our, our, you know, our country. So they want to defund the police, get rid of all armed authority and protection. They also talked about um, undocumented workers. They, they don't want to call them illegal aliens anymore. They want to be called undocumented workers. They want to get rid of the borders and get rid of the walls, right? They want the freedom to do really whatever they want to do. And yet, how are they doing that? They are masked individuals wearing all black, carrying automatic weapons. And they're putting up barriers and borders around their, their six city blocks. I mean, it's, you have to almost laugh, but then you're so sad. Because 
Everything that you're asking to, to break down, everything that you want to destroy, you're doing the same thing all over again. It's man's solution is causing the same problem. And the people that are rioting and breaking into Verizon and, and T-Mobile stores and stealing iPhones, justified in doing so, stealing from people, when one of their iPhones gets stolen by a fellow rioter, now there's judgment to be brought down, right? Now they circle around with baseball bats. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a Batman movie or something out of God. I mean, it really is amazing what we can do to ourselves. This is the wisdom of man. And we've talked about how we, we need God's wisdom. We just keep messing everything up. Out of all of that, God is still in control. When we began our time in Genesis 37, we see this young man, Joseph, being of 17 years old, pastoring the flock with his brothers. He was a boy. And Joseph, what did he do? He brought a bad report of his brothers because they're, they're, mess- they're, they're, they're doing the wrong things, right? They're, they're a bad crew, essentially. He brings a bad report. Why? Well, he's a good son. He's, he's, he's a man who wants to follow after the Lord. And we see that throughout his life. And so the brothers were upset about that. And then his father, Jacob, decides to pour out his blessing upon his son because he, he, he's his favorite, and the, the Bible tells us that. And he makes a nice coat for him, and a nice colored coat, which is a sign of authority, really, too, over his brothers because he's done the right things. He's earned it to some degree. But we talked about how Joseph was the favorite, and that created envy in the hearts of their brothers. The brothers had all this envy. They were jealous. They were mad. They became hateful. They became murderous in their hearts. Here's the interesting thing, though. It wasn't just about Jacob's actions and creating a kind of a favorite son. When, when Joseph had these dreams, look in verse 5, now Joseph had a dream when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, are you, you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. What were these dreams? They were God's revelation to him. This was God's prophetic revelation of what God was going to do. Joseph was really excited about it. And of course, why wouldn't you be? He was the, he was the hero of the dream, right? He, he gets the, the benefit of the authority. But what, what did his brothers do? They rebelled against that. They rejected it. And so not only did his brothers hate him because of his father's love, his earthly father's love, they hated his brother because of God's love for Joseph, that God favored him enough to put him in a place of authority over them eventually. They didn't understand how, but they, envy was always there, right? These just exposed it. And so they created a plan. And Joseph was sent by Jacob to go check out where his brothers were. They were, they were pasturing the flock near Shechem. They were supposed to be. And he sends them. And he, remember that Joseph was that here I am type of a guy. Knowing that his life might be in danger, knowing his brothers hated him with this, this murderous hatred, knowing that he wasn't that popular, knowing that he was going pretty far away, about 50 miles from his home to see where his brothers were. Knowing that, he, he went anyway. He said, here I am, Father, send me. And he was sent. And we saw that Jacob was a, or Joseph was a very faithful son. Remember, we walked through all these. Joseph the favor, Joseph the dreamer, Joseph the faithful son, that, that he was 
in full submission to his father. He was focused on the task he followed through. And he walked into this field and he couldn't find his brother. Does he wander around? And then some man shows up and says, what are you looking for? What are you seeking? And I'm seeking my brothers. Oh, they're, they're, they went that way. So he went another 15 miles over to Dothan and found his brothers. And, right, and on his way there, his brothers saw him from afar and they decided to create this plan. These are evil men creating an evil plan to kill their brother because they hated him. Do you see God's providence in all of this? Why? Because we know the end of the story. We know that Joseph could say in chapter 50, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. God meant to save many people and he used your evil intent to do that. And so when Jacob sent his son, Israel said, I'm, I'm sending you. And Joseph said, here I am. God was sending him. Right? When Joseph was in the field and not sure where to go and without any direction probably would have turned around and came home, God sent a man, some random guy wandering around the field at the exact same time that Joseph's wandering around the field, right? Is there a coincidence there? No, there's no chance. God provided the road sign. I need you to go this way. And you're going towards suffering and you don't know that, but I need you to go this way. Is God still good knowing what was going to happen to Joseph? knowing that his brothers would tear his clothes, throw him into an empty cistern, in a well, planning to kill him, and then planning to just leave him there and starve him to death. And they're having lunch, and the they put down a nice little blanket and have a nice little picnic while their brother is crying out for his life. Is God still good, even though he allowed that to take place? Why? Because God sees the end. He knows the purpose. He knows the plan. He knows what he's doing. We can't see all those things. Was it just an accident that the Ishmaelite caravan was coming by and happened to be going to Egypt right at that exact same time? And God used Judah's desire for money or maybe the desire to get the blood guilt off of his hands or whatever it was to decide to sell his brother to slavery and to be rid of him that way? See, when we begin to look at our life and look at what has happened, if we, if we consider the scriptures and how much God loves us, how much he cares for us, how much he's purposefully moving in all parts of our life, we begin to glorify him more. We increase our faith. This past week, my wife and I, we were um, having to make some, some pretty big decisions for our business, and I'm not going to share all the details, but there was one decision that seemed like a really good path. It seemed like the, the best direction to go, or we were excited about it, and and, but, but we pray and we ask and seek the Lord and say, Lord, help us to see what, what's real here. Help us to make sure we're moving in the right direction. And then once we pray and we leave it in the Lord's hands, we can trust him. We can walk freely. We don't have to fear. We don't have to hunker down and act like, like oh, I don't know if this is going to work. I don't, we don't have to live like that because we're his people. He's in control of things. God works out everything for our good. But we pray, we ask God, please show us. If we lack wisdom, we're supposed to ask God for wisdom, and he's, he's, he's faithful to give it to us, right? So we ask him for wisdom. And the next day, Sheila just had kind of an uneasy feeling. Something was off. Things, start, things weren't making connections based on the decision that we, we thought was going to be a good one, the direction we were going to go. And so we changed direction and decided it, it's not a good... And so Sheila did some more investigation and figured out, oh yeah, if we would have went down this path, it would have been very, very bad, a lot worse than we could have even thought. It was almost that moment of scariness, like, wow, 
God really just saved us. Have you ever been in an almost car accident and you're just amazed that you survived that? And you're like, I can't believe how God just saved us. This was a, a different type of car accident related to other things, but it's, you're, you're amazed. You're, Lord, thank you. This could only have come from you. And you, you, you're thankful and you worship him for that. At the same time, then fear starts to creep back in. Well, what's the right decision then? <laughs> right? Well, if he's going to save you from the wrong decision, does it make sense that he will lead you to the right decision? Yes, of course. So we, we worship him for all those little things. We remember those things. We write those down. We, we get in God's word and remember all his great works and how he cares for his children. There's no coincidence here. His divine providence was directing and, and taking care of all of these things in wisdom and love in the entire universe. He's, he's holding everything together all the while sending Joseph to Egypt. He had a purpose and a plan. And he used the evil intent of his brothers to do so. He used these, these family anarchists, if you will, these, an uprival, and, right? These, you know these brothers are always, I mean, later on, Joseph even has to tell them when, when he's sending them back to Egypt, hey, stop fighting. Just don't fight with each other, right? He knows their character, he knows that they have a, they have a tough time. They, they, they're, devi- they're divisive in general, and when they get together, there's that mob mentality. Would, they, would any of them kill their brother by themselves? Probably not. But in a large group setting, with enough fervor and zeal and anger and frustration and envy, this can take place. And what do they do next? They, they cover it up. They take his coat. They, they dip it in goat's blood. They send, take it back to their father. Check out this, this robe here. Is this, is this the robe of your son? They can't even call him brother. And then they live with the consequences of that, right? So then we talked about Joseph the sufferer as he, as he went to Egypt and had to suffer being torn away from his homeland, from his family, from everything that he had known after having this exuberant promise and this prophetic dream of God that he would be ruling over his family. And, and now he's... he's being sold into Potiphar's house, the captain of the guard for the Pharaoh of Egypt. And he's there and he's, he's unjustly incarcerated. He's, he's put into servitude without his choice. What does he do? He decides to be faithful and do his job. He decides to honor God by speaking God's name whenever he's given the opportunity. He's proving himself faithful. And God's also doing something in the life of the family. They are suffering as well. They're suffering the consequences, the seared conscience that comes with unconfessed sin. They compromised. We see Reuben compromising in that story. We see Judah. He takes off. He leaves the family for a while in chapter 38, right? And then he goes and does other sinful acts. This is just the the story of man. This is our story. And as a slave, God prospers Joseph. In in chapter 39, if you turn over one page, look at how amazing this is. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down here. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. It seems like a paradox, right? Ripped from his family, almost murdered, sold into slavery. Can you imagine, just, can you ever just picture that, that trip in shackles, 
being drugged behind or, or put in a cage and being sent off to Egypt, what was going through his mind. And he gets here and he's sold into this place. He's in a strange land. He doesn't know the language. And he's forced to, to serve. But the Lord was with Joseph. Why? Because the Lord sent Joseph. He's in control of everything. Those brothers had evil intent. They were going to do evil things. God orchestrated a, a perfect escape for Joseph, if you will, to go where he needed him to go. The Lord was with him. He became a successful man in slavery. He was successful, and he was in the house of the Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house, put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he had made him overseer of his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. Because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food that he ate. And we start to see the promise of God being unveiled, right? It's, it's, being, it's being rolled out before us. Because what was, what was the promise to Abraham? I'm going to make you a great nation, and I'm going, to, I'm going to bless all the other nations through you, right? You're going to be blessed to be a blessing. And so God's name is being lifted here. Make no mistake, God is the main character of this story, always and every time, right? As we read this, God is the main character of this story. He's the one in charge. He was with Joseph. Why did Joseph succeed? Because God was with him. And his master saw that the Lord was with him. God was being glorified. And so the Egyptian's house was blessed. But as any blessing comes, as any favor of God comes, as God calls us to our work, and he empowers us to do that work. We have an evil, evil enemy. We have Satan who comes against and wants to destroy. He wants to, to steal from us and, and kill us. He wants to take us out of the game. And so like clockwork, what's the next part of the story? Potiphar's wife, seeing that Joseph was handsome, right? Seeing that he was a man in charge. He was taking charge in the house. And so she tries to seduce him. He had this great temptation. This was a very real temptation for Joseph. God not only was sending his servant, he was preparing his servant. He was, he was sanctifying his servant, right? And so what did Joseph do? He resisted. He said no, boldly, clearly. He did not listen. He fled immorality. He did not want to sin against God. And he we talked about this. He had kind of that spring break free ride ticket. Well, no one knows I'm here. All this bad things have happened to me. I'm going to feel sorry for myself. One little indiscretion won't be a problem. Maybe I'll just flirt here and there. He said no. Why? Because he wanted to worship the Lord. God's name, God's presence, God's favor was more important than a temporary kind of temporary uh, uh, temptation. So he said, no, he resisted. What an amazing man. And he's a man like us. Right? He's a person like us. He didn't have a big S on his chest. He wasn't, he wasn't impervious to these things. He was being tempted. Why did God allow that? Why did God allow this temptation? This, this man's being faithful. We talked about those things. God had a purpose in it. I sent you to Potiphar's house. You're doing a great job. My name's being lifted up. You're learning the, the Egyptian language. You're learning how things work here. I'm training you for a bigger job. This is just, this is the mail room. You're not going to be here forever. 
right? We're going to get you through. Are there even mail rooms anymore? I guess that's an Gosh, right? This is not where you're going to end up. And I'm going to take you to the, to the next level, but the corporate ladder in God's economy doesn't go up. It goes down, unfortunately, right? And so Potiphar's wife claims that he attacked her and made sport of her, even though he did nothing. And once again, he was unjustly accused and sent to prison. He was sent to Potiphar's prison. And in prison now, what is he going to do? What is God doing in all these things? In uh, chapter 39, Verse 20, and Joseph's master took him and put him in the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all of the prisoners, all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. God made it succeed. God is, the, God is using Joseph's faithfulness. Joseph is choosing to obey God. And God's saying, I, I love you, my son. I'm putting my favor on you. You have been faithful. I'm going to make you succeed. Just as God makes the grass grow. He makes the, the water team down the mountains. To, God, God does all of these things. He makes the, the sun set at the right time and then the moon to rise. God sets all of these things in motion. He's in control of all of these things. The Lord was with him and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor. When we're obedient to God, even if it's painful, even when we suffer, if we're obedient to God, God's steadfast love is upon us. We can trust that. You know, that's the story of the Bible, right? There's glory that comes only through suffering. To be exalted, we have to be laid low. We have to be humbled first. Jesus' crown came through the path of the cross. And yet we still resist. We still get angry. And we wonder why, Lord, all the time, instead instead of give me strength, Lord, to endure this. Because I know this is for my good. This person meant it for evil. This person is doing evil things against me. This person shouldn't be allowed to succeed. Look at him succeed. Look at, look at what they're doing, Lord. And, I, and I've done all these, these things to honor you. And I've, I've, I've kept your, your commandments, Lord. Right? I've, I've done all these things. And I've tried not to sin against you. And, and yet these other people seem to prosper. But there's a glory that's coming through the suffering. We've been justified, we'll also be glorified. Not that we're stealing glory from God, but that God will make us like his son. He's making us like his son, who had to suffer at the hands of evil men. Jesus asked for the cup to be passed from him. Praise God, in his wisdom and in his providence, God said, no, you need to go. It's for the salvation of many. So Joseph, you need to go. You need to be in that prison, and I'm going to teach you some other things now. I'm going to teach you to be a prisoner. I'm going to sanctify you and strengthen you, and then ultimately I'll set you free to serve when the time is right. 
And he had to be patient in that prison. Remember, so God, God not only sent Joseph to the prison, he sent the cupbearer and he sent the baker from the king's court into the prison with him. And they both had dreams. And Joseph's like, oh yeah, I remember the dreams now, right? I, that's, that's kind of coming back to me. And, they, and they're looking for someone to interpret. Well, only God can interpret dreams. He doesn't take any credit for it. He's a man who, who says, here I am. And, and when anyone asks him how he does anything, he says, well, there he is. It's all about God. So Joseph interprets their dreams, and the cupbearer has a favorable dream. And Joseph asks him, please remember me when you leave here, because I'm, I'm not supposed to be here. The first time we see in the story that Joseph, not necessarily complained, but was seeking to be removed from this, this life of suffering. And what does the cupbearer do? He forgot about him. And he had to wait two years. We have a tough time waiting two months to get back into Starbucks or right into some other part of life that seemed normal. And yet he had to wait two more years in prison, wondering where is this promise of God? You just reminded me of this dream, and now it's, it's going away again. And then Pharaoh has a dream. So God sent a dream to Pharaoh. God's the sender. God's the one in control. Sent a dream to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh can't figure it out. He gets all those magicians and all the, these wise people, and he's trying to, what does this dream mean? And no one can figure it out. And the cupbearer then remembers, oh, well, there's a guy that can figure it out. I totally forgot. And Joseph is, is plucked right out of prison, shaved, put on nice clothes, put in, the, in Pharaoh's court. You can interpret dreams, right? No, only God can do that. Only God can do that. And here's what your dream means. And by the way, in, in all humility and yet confidence because he knows God, here's what you need to do about this dream. You need to find someone to do these things and to prepare for this famine that's coming. And Pharaoh's like, well, who, who are we going to find like this man in the spirit of God rests? I, you're the man, obviously. And so he gives him everything. Second in command to Pharaoh. Gives him his chariots, gives him his rings, gives him his robes, gives him all the authority in Egypt. God made a promise to himself and to his people. He, made, he gave a prophetic dream to Joseph. And so for God to speak of what's going to happen, to make a promise of something, for him to make sure that takes place because God's not a liar, then God needs to be in control of, of everything. It just makes sense. We can't live as functional deists and the people that talk about winding up the watch. God just got everything started, kind of got, got things kick-started, right? And then he kind of let go and put his hands up in the air and things just take place now. That's not, what's, that's, that's not biblical theology. That's not proper theology of sovereignty. It's, a, it's an opposition to it. God is in control of all these things. Does that encourage you? this morning, as you think about all of the unrest and all of the uncertainty in your own life, that he is in control of everything, every step, every person. That, I, can't, I can't help when I, when I think about this, when I meditate on, on, this, on this doctrine in general and read the scriptures related to it, I can't help but think that that person that I just talked to at the gas station, or that anything that crosses my path, that there's, there's no chance, there's no coincidence in any of this stuff. I have the freedom to interact or not interact, to say things or not to say things, to please God or displease God. 
but I'll never thwart his purposes. Right? There are consequences to sin. Absolutely. But we will never divert God from his purposes. And so we saw Joseph as the one who was prepared. And once he was in the, the king's court, he was the controlled and compassionate one. Right? Joseph had a lot of work to do, not only to save people from physical hunger and physical famine, but to be what an agent of reconciliation, to model and to be an agent of forgiveness with, even within his own family. And we watched this. Man, so many things that, that for us to learn from the story, how he lived out the attributes of God because he was close to God and God was with him. He had his brothers come and, and they needed grain because they were going to starve. And they, like all the rest of the world, they came to Joseph. They didn't know it was Joseph. And he knew it was his brothers, these brothers that sold him into slavery. And they came before him and, and he treated them harshly because he was trying to figure out why they were there. Had they changed? Was there just worldly regrets for what they had done or was there true repentance? And so he, he spent some time kind of, putting them through some trials to see who they really were. Had they changed or not? And he kept having to leave the room and come back because he was weeping out of compassion because he, he loved this family. He missed them greatly. Joseph, at the moment he saw them, could have had them killed or imprisoned, put in the slave. He, he had all the power and the authority to do that. But he realized that all of his power, all of his authority, everything that he was given came from God. He was not in the place of God to, to make those judgments. Instead, he, he, he offered grace and forgiveness and ultimately revealed himself to his brothers. And, 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 and there was a great reunion, and then he brought his father, who was still alive, thankfully. And, and there, was this, there was this amazing reconciliation that can only come through the hand of God. And by doing that as well, by bringing the family and bringing the Israelites, God's chosen people, to Egypt, he had saved them from the famine, from starvation. He had a... He had a he had a plan for them. And as we get into Exodus in a couple of weeks, we'll, we'll see that continue to unfold amongst God's people. And so we looked at Joseph as the agent of reconciliation. He was the provider. He provided a place for them. He provided his own personal care for them. He protected them. He put them in Goshen, a place that was just far enough from the, the city and made them shepherds so that they weren't going to be interacting and intermingling with a foreign nation. So there was less temptation there, less influence from pagan society. We just see this amazing picture of a man providing in great wisdom through God's providence for his people. Jacob's journey, Jacob's family. We looked at Joseph's family tree. We also looked at the, the Jesus's, the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew 1. Just how, can, can you look at that genealogy and look at how God, from Genesis 3, the first messianic prophecy, all the way through the birth of Christ, how he orchestrated everything to bring about the Messiah through the proper line, with the proper credentials, at the proper time. It's amazing. It's, it's amazing. And then we saw Jacob's legacy. We saw the promises of God being bestowed through Jacob to his sons as the tribes of Israel eventually. And we saw how some of those things worked out. We saw consequence, but we saw God's grace in still providing and using his sons. An incredible story. That's the, 
That's the recap of the story. We walked through all of that. There's so much more, of course, but um, ultimately, as we began with the, with the end in mind from Genesis 50, verse 20, when Joseph says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Every time you see God moving in the story and sending Joseph and sending others, God is, God is providentially in charge of everything. He is in control of all of it. You need to take that with you today. Romans 8.28 is a, is a New Testament promise to the same, kind of the, in the same vein. Paul says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. He works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. If you have been called, if you are God's, God's son or God's daughter, you belong to him, and he's working out everything for your good. Other parts and corners of the world, things are being worked out for your good because he cares for you. There's nothing that escapes his view. And so a couple applications for us um, this morning. God's sovereignty, number one, should make us feel small but safe. God's sovereignty should make us feel small but safe. We should be put in our proper place knowing that he is in control of everything. Colossians 1, I'll go through a couple texts here. Colossians 1 talks about this, the preeminence of Christ. Colossians 1, verse 15, talking of Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Everything, not just the creation itself, all the authorities, all the the rulers, the thrones, (laughs) everything was created through him and ultimately for him. This is for his glory, for his rule and reign. And he is before all things. Remember he said, before Abraham was, I am. He's before all things. And he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. All things hold together. That's an amazing picture. Have you ever just thought about what that means? John Phillips in his commentary has has a great little section here um, talking about some of this from from a... science perspective, nature perspective. He says, not only does, does, uh, does Jesus hold even the, even the smallest particles, even the atoms together, he says he holds together all of the galaxies of space, the forces of motion, magnetism, gravity, electricity, all of the thundering machinery of the universe. All of it is held in balance by him. Countless stars and their satellites travel at inconceivable velocities. Bodies of enormous size and mass fueled by fires burning at fantastic temperatures are rushing through intangible space, all controlled by him. They travel, too, with such mathematical precision that we can predict the occasion of an eclipse or the visit of a comet years in advance. He is um, such as his control of the universe. Our sun, for instance, is just a moderate star as stars go. 
Yet it is pouring energy into space with the utmost prodigality, losing weight by radiation at the rate of 4,200,000 tons a second. This enormous output of sheer physical energy is so well controlled that our planet never gets too hot and never gets too cold, but remains at the proper mean temperature to sustain life. Life as we know it can exist only within a very margin, narrow margin of temperature. If it were to get hotter for a little longer, the whole world would become a vast Sahara desert. If it were to get colder for a little longer, the world would become a frozen Arctic. Someone set the thermostat. <laughs> that someone was Jesus. Don't you hate that when you come in a room and someone else messes with a the thermostat and you change it back? And We have no access. It is securely locked. Only Jesus Christ has access. He holds everything together. That's a comfort. He controls the universe just as he did when he lived on earth. The forces of nature owned his presence and his power. Owned by his presence and his power. Water, I love this, just the, the terminology here. Water blushed into wine when he looked at it. Loaves and fishes multiplied in his hands. Raging seas hushed to rest at his command. Howling winds hushed to sleep. At his will, rolling waves became pavement beneath his feet. An unbroken colt submitted instantly to his touch. Fishes hurled themselves into Peter's net at the sound of his voice. After his resurrection, he walked calmly through barred and bolted doors as, and just as easily vanished from view. He created the universe. He claims the universe. He controls the universe. All of the entities of space, matter, and time are in his hands. Thrones and dominions, principalities and powers, all of the forces of nature, all the factors in the total equation of eternity and time are his to command. He holds all of these things together. And so God's sovereignty should make us feel small, but it should also make us feel safe. In the midst of all of that, in the midst of all of this unrest and what's going to happen to the world around me, the psalmist says, Psalm 4, verse 8, In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. God moves us from fear to faith as we consider all that he's done and all that he's in control of. We are not to fear, to live by faith, because if he's God, then he is faithful, he is good, he is worthy to be worshipped, and we can trust him. Let's uh, just bow your heads. I'm going to read a portion of Isaiah 40 as we close. The scriptures are so full of his sovereign, of his power, of his might, of his goodness, of his wisdom. Please be in God's word. Please worship him in truth by understanding what he's revealed to us in the scriptures. Please spend time with him, meditate on his works, on his goodness, on his great salvation, on our role as his people, how much he loves us, how much he brings all things together for our good. Don't let this world shake you. That's, God will take care of everything. My, my prayer for you this morning, honestly, is that you can sleep well tonight, knowing that you dwell in the safety in the hands of a loving father. Let's consider Isaiah 40, verse 9. 
Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span and closed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured or directed the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him counsel? Whom did he consult? And who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing in emptiness. To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman casts it like a goldsmith, overlays it with gold, and casts it uh, for silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out skillful craftsmen to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth. When the, when he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble, To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. This is the Holy One of God that we worship. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge, Lord, that we are but dust to you. The nations crumble before you, Father. There is nothing outside of your control. You are completely sovereign because you have the right and the power to do whatever you choose. And because you are good and gracious and faithful and loving, you choose to do amazing things, great things, and so you are greatly to be praised. We can't understand the scope and the the magnitude of all that you've created. And in light of that, what is man that you are mindful of us, Lord? But you've chose to set your love upon us. You sent your son to die for us and for our sin so that we don't have to be separated from you for eternity in hell. For there's consequences. There's, There's a price to be paid for our sin. The wages of sin is death. 
But praise be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You came, Lord Jesus, you suffered, you died. You died on a cross, a horrible death. You rose again on the third day, defeating death, defeating the sting of death for the forgiveness of sins for all who would believe on you as Lord and as Savior. So we pray right now, Lord, for anyone who's listening, who does not know you, who is lost, who's darkened in understanding, who has no hope. Lord, you would draw them to yourself, that you would save them through the hearing of your word this morning. That if they would believe in you, they would be saved, Lord. And we thank you for those of us who are saved, who have been partakers of your life as you've allowed us to uh, not only understand the scriptures, to hear, to have faith, but then to be united with you, Lord Jesus, in your death and in your burial and also in your resurrection to come. Um, You have imputed to us your righteousness. You've traded us the great exchange. You've taken our sin and given us the righteousness of Christ so that we might stand before a holy God. We don't understand why, Lord, but we are thankful that you did. And so as we consider the life of your servant Joseph through these many months and just through a quick summary today, Father, we see the, the, the person, the picture of Christ coming through the pages, all pointing to you, Lord Jesus, all pointing toward a Messiah, toward a Savior. We cannot save ourselves, Lord. Well, we pray for our, our cities. We pray for our states. We pray for our nation. We pray for this world. We pray, Father, that you would do all the work that you require, Lord, so that your purposes and your plan are accomplished. And you would help us to be part of that, Father. Show us, Black Forest Chapel, show us as the small church family here in the forest who sometimes seems far away from some of these things. What is our role? What would you have us do, Lord? Prompt our hearts and give us by your Holy Spirit the power to proclaim your name boldly amongst those around us, that we would one person at a time glorify your name by sharing who you are and what you have done. Thank you for the privilege to be ambassadors for you, Lord Jesus. Help us to go encouraged by your word this morning. Help us to be men and women of faith, of prayer, and true worshipers of you, our Lord and our God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand and join us in singing.
pray as you go today that you continue singing this hymn uh, to yourselves and in your hearts. Um, he is a holy God. He is other. He is perfect in power and in purity and love, and he is worthy of our worship, worthy of our devotion. So let's not leave this place other than in a spirit of worship as we go. Uh, the world around us needs God's people worshiping, singing songs, sharing truth. That needs to be us. So consider what your role is this week. Consider how how small you are, but how safe you are in the hands of your Father. And then you can go out and play in the backyard safely, right? We can go out into the world and be amongst the chaos and not fear, as everyone else does. Let's be God's people this week. Thank you. You're dismissed. enjoyed this teaching from the Word of God. If you don't have a church home, we invite you to visit Black Forest Chapel in Black Forest, Colorado, near Monument and just north of Colorado Springs. You'll find biblical teaching and authentic worship in an environment that feels like family and friends. Get directions and more information at blackforestchapel.org.